Lord be with you. It's a great day today as we come to look again at this incredible life that is in Jesus. But before we begin, I want to very quickly say that as of when you're hearing this, we will be taking 50% off all of our product, that is, all of the CDs that we sell um, from our ministry. And um, this is not a going-out-of-business sale, (laughs) please, no. Actually, it's the beginning of our entering into a whole new phase of connecting with the world through um, digital and everything else. And so this is the beginning. And so I want you to use it. If you've stayed away because of the price, well, 50% off every CD that we sell over the web and in our ministry. I just need you to know that. And of course, we are rushing toward Christmas. And so that will be our retreat. And we still are taking reservations the first full weekend of December in Kerrville, Texas. And we will be a retreat on the radical grace of God. And of course, just in a few hours from when you see this, we will have our Bible school in Bernie, Texas. And so, plenty of reason to pick up the phone and call our office immediately. Now I want you to look with me at Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 9. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, let's begin at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Matthew, got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, that's the passage of Scripture that has been arresting me in these last days. It is arresting because it is the personal biography of Matthew, the apostle Matthew who wrote that gospel, He is telling us in that little paragraph, uh, it, it was, I say, his personal biography, that moment that changed his life forever. And, and he puts it together so succinctly. He said it was a look. Yes, the look that Jesus gave him changed him forever. It, it just puts it there in one simple sentence. Jesus saw a man named Matthew. And that might seem a a nothing phrase. Well, let's have a look. And, And especially remember, the man Matthew is the one who wrote that as his report on what happened to him. You see, you can read this same story in the Gospel of Mark, but it won't say it quite the same way. You can read it in the Gospel of Luke, but again, it's not quite the same way. This is the heart of it in that little phrase, because Matthew himself wrote that as his one-sentence report on the look that changed his life. He lived in Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum, that uh, city on the Lake Galilee, And it was the city that has much prominence in the Gospels. And that's where he was a tax collector. Well, (laughs) the people of Capernaum, where Matthew was a tax collector, 
There was not one person in Capernaum that saw him as a man with a name. <laughs> you see, everyone, and I, I'm emphasizing that because uh, this was universal. You could not find a person in, in Israel that would look with any kind of gentleness, kindness, welcome to a tax collector. And certainly a tax collector where the tax collector had his territory. And the people within that territory looked at that man with utter hatred. Gee, a tax collector, as I've told you before, I'm sure, he was a betrayer of his own people. This was not a Roman that came in to gather the taxes uh, of the people that had been conquered. No, the Romans knew better than that. They, they knew that uh, the Jewish people were of such a kind that they could get around a Roman and not pay full taxes. So they said, let's get the Jew who will betray his own people, go back to his people and extract the taxes. And that's the way it was. Matthew was a Jew, but he was sent, paid for, authorized by, protected by the Romans to be a betrayer of his people. He betrayed his family. What Can you imagine what his own family would feel like to know that their boy had become a tax collector in the pay of the Roman army that came to crush them? And of course, he betrayed his faith. He'd been raised deeply in the faith of uh, Moses, the Torah. He, he was brought up under the law in the synagogue, and now he had walked away from it as near atheist as he could bring himself to be. He'd gone over to the other side in every possible way. See, the Romans, they would take a territory like Capernaum, and they would put it up for auction. That is, would you like to buy the territory of Capernaum? And, and it's yours. As long as you bring us then the taxes, you can do just about anything you want there. It's your territory. You buy it. And so it might have been up for $5,000, $10,000, whatever uh, they thought uh, could be a good living. And so you, the, these men who were ready to betray their people would make a bid and they would buy the territory, and then they would go into that territory to extract the taxes that the Romans says they wanted. But along with it came permission from the Romans to add to those taxes just whatever you wanted, and that extra was yours. And so they lined their pockets with the extra. The Roman taxes would break the back of the people the extra that the tax collector added on was enough to grind the face of his people in the mud. It was a sort of legalized stealing, preying on families and businessmen, a tax collector. You have to sort of lose your soul to do it. You know what I mean. There's something is going to die inside of you to do what these men did. So let me introduce you to Matthew and see his dead, cruel eyes. I think that would be the first thing you would see, because he wouldn't see you. Those eyes, cruel eyes, could only see people as things from which to get cash. You could say that he saw people as cash cows. How much taxes can he extract from them? How richer can he make himself from you? There's no pity there. It doesn't matter. You're on your last penny. That's beside the point. He's no interest. There's no compassion. That's Matthew. If you come with me down the street to his house on the outskirts of the city, it will be opulent. It will be the mansion of the city, rich living, wealth. 
and wielding this terrible power that is backed up by Rome. But inside of that mansion, and certainly as he walked the streets, he lived in fear. I mean, fear of the people. And especially, there was a cult. It was a religious cult. It's called the Zealots. But really, they were the suicide bombers. They were the terrorists who, who would carry their knives hidden in their sleeve and come as close as they could to, to Roman soldiers, especially those with, with position in the army, but also as close as they could to tax collectors, and then let the knife slip into their hand and go straight into the heart of whoever it was. And of course, they were immediately caught and themselves killed, but that was good for them. They would do anything to bring death to the hated Roman army and their double-hated tax collectors. So he lived in his opulence, walked in his wealth, but he had to do so with bodyguards as he lived in fear. If you came into the synagogue on Sabbath day, you would hear his name. His name was known from end to end of the city, and in the synagogue they would read out his name every Sabbath, along with any other tax collectors that had jurisdictions in the neighborhood. And, and he was declared publicly, weekly, as a man beyond the hope of salvation, with great glee, they doomed the man in hell every week. And they said it's beyond all possibility of forgiveness. He's a tax collector. And the Pharisee, that cult of fundamentalists, um, if they touched a tax collector, purely by accident, of course, in the street or in the marketplace, in such horror, they would rush home take off all their clothes and wash them while they themselves bathed to get the filth of having touched a tax collector. So what can I say about this man unloved? You bet he was unloved. Alone? You don't know what loneliness is. Friendless. And you, did you notice that usually when there's tax collectors and sinners... And that was a Jewish way of naming the prostitutes. And, and so along with his bodyguards, which were more like uh, sort of mafia thugs, um, he had the prostitutes. That was the only thing, a, a sort of plastic purchased stupid love. And the names they called him, the scavenger dog, eating on other people's pain and suffering. They called him a filthy pig. They looked at him, but with disgust out of the pain and the brokenness that he had brought to families. He was the cause of many family miseries. Oh, oh yeah, they looked at him all right. And of course, in the silence of the night, and I, I say this kind of obvious, <laughs> there was no internet, no TV, no radio. Nighttime could be a very quiet place. Quiet? No, it was a terrifying silence. That's when he would have to remember who he had been raised to be. That's when he would face the awfulness of the Ten Commandments and realize his guilt that he had shamed himself and the family and walked away from his God. He knew what he was doing. He felt the scorn. That's when you feel it. You know what it is. When you're alone, 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 and you're left with yourself and you can't get away from yourself and you feel the rejection and you feel the hatred of everyone and you feel the utter mess that you've made of life. Oh, yes. But Jesus made his home in Capernaum. And, and you can read, especially in the earlier part of the Gospels of Matthew and, and then of Mark and Luke, um, of Jesus making that home. It's quite a thought when you think about it, that Jesus had a house in Capernaum that he called home. 
And of course, it was in the streets of Capernaum that many things of the gospel took place. And of course, news traveled fast by word of mouth. And even though nobody really talked to Matthew, he got the message that this Jesus was, well, he was certainly different. He had a tenderness, a gentleness, an incredible kindness toward sinners. It horrified the religious people of the day. And also, so the rumors said, he actually talked civilly and kindly to tax collectors. The very name of Jesus became hope to the, to the outcast. So Jesus was not exactly a stranger to Matthew. But then Jesus came to Matthew's tax booth. There was a place where everybody had to bring their taxes. That's where the terrible looks of hatred were given, right there at the tax booth. And so it stood out when Jesus came to the tax booth. He looked at Matthew. Then, now, do you get it? He looked at Matthew as no other person ever had. Underline that, because that's at the heart of this. Jesus looked at Matthew as no other person ever had. It was a look that penetrated, I mean, penetrated the very soul of the man, came into the darkness of his inner being, but it was a look that just washed over him with love and acceptance. And so Matthew wrote it there, that this Jesus saw a man. Do you, do you understand me? Nobody else really saw a man. They saw a, a ghost of a man. They, they saw a man that had descended into being some sort of animal. As I said, they called him a scavenger dog. They called him a filthy pig. They didn't see a man. They said he's got, gone beyond that. He, he's beyond God's acknowledgement. He's beyond God's forgiveness. But Jesus saw a man. And it was transmitted in the look that Jesus gave to him. He looked at him. And in that look, Matthew knew he had a soul. He was a person. And this Jesus was seeing him as a person, a man. But more than that, he saw a man with a name, Matthew. Nobody thought of him as a man with a name. They couldn't even conceive of him as being part of a family with feelings, with tears, with hopes, with fears, with joy. Oh, no. He was a nothing, a nobody. But Jesus saw eye to eye. You know when eyes connect. And in that look, Jesus saw a man with a name, Matthew. He was a person. He had a life. He had a world in which he lived. And Matthew recorded that as beginning with a look, which he says that he saw a man named Matthew. Now, when we use words for seeing and looking, there are different uh, emphases we give, or actually different words sometimes. In, in the language of the New Testament, it's very definite. Uh, there are different words for the way we look. And this word is a very important word. He said that Jesus saw. Now, this word, saw, to see, it, it's, it's a word that is more than a glance. You see, we, we, we can just look, we can see a lot of people in one look, but it's merely a glance, and afterward we could hardly tell who was there. This word is very specific. It is not a glance. It is this 
word that describes how Jesus looked at him. <clears throat> and it's, it means, the word means to see and to know. Or could I say, it means to perceive the present reality that is going on in Matthew right now. So, it's not a passing glance. It is almost x-ray vision. It is looking into Matthew and knowing exactly where he's at right now. Could you say that it was a contemplative look? That is, it weighed what this man really is. Doesn't take anything for granted. Or could I say that it was a look that surveyed him, seeing him as he really is. And when I say really is, I mean really is as God, who is love, sees him. And of course, when I say Jesus looked at him, I am saying that God in our humanity, God in our flesh, looking through human eyes, but the eyes of God, saw Matthew and saw him as no other human being had seen him. He saw him. The word means to see and understand. Or could I say that it's the look of confidence. I know what's going on. I know where you're at. I know how you're feeling, and I can fix it. I can mend it. I can heal it. This this word means a look of hope. I'm not just making a, a mental note of you as you are. I am looking at you with love, with the very love of God, and saying for you, I have come to mend you and heal you and give you Hope in this moment. He saw a man. You know, a look like this is actually energy. The energy of God love. For God love is not a flat thing that you read about in theological books. God love is the pulsating energy that created the universe, and now coming through the eyes of God inside our flesh, God come to love us. God come to reveal that's the way he is. And so when he looks at Matthew, there is a transmission of energy. The energy of God's love came into Matthew. You see, every time we look like this, when it's more than a glance, when you look in this category, we do. We we transmit energy. And it can be felt and it can be registered. I mean, mean, face it, um, you know when you're being looked at in this way. And it's interesting, you don't have to be looking at the person that's looking at you. Have you ever been in an airport or standing in a shopping mall and you almost feel a look boring a hole in your back? Have you ever had that? You you turn around, you know someone's looking at you. That is a simple fact. And certainly, have you ever looked at someone... And they may be bent over a newspaper or a book over on the other side of the uh, uh, shopping mall. But as you look with this this word being used, they look up. They they know the. Have you ever been in a bus or a train and looked at people? You ever have you ever been in the back of a train uh, in a train looking at the backs of people and you pray for people? You ever done that? Go from the back of the head to the back of the head to the back of the head and pray for them. And have you ever seen how one after another turns around to see what's happening? Yeah, this look, a concentrated, focused look of love. It it it's a transmission. It, it's it's act, the person is actually coming into. And of course, Matthew was 
No stranger to looks that transmitted. He was the most looked at person in Capernaum. And the looks he received were energized, all right, but they were energized by hate, by disgust, by repulsion. Every look he got was rejection, condemnation. They were looks of fear of the man who could ruin them. And also that fear uh, that one has of those who are not like us, you know. And of course, they were looks that were filled with the pain he had caused. He was used to looks. And he was looked at, he knew when religious people looked at him. Because you know a religious look, you've probably had it yourself. When someone who is, uh, they, they live by their works and they relige, uh, they, they, they live by what they've done. And if, if you're one of those, you, you need someone to compare yourself to. You just can't try and be good. You need a mirror to look in. And people like Matthew are perfect mirrors to look in. You look at the likes of Matthew and you get that awful religious look on your face as you're gloating to say, I'm not like you. And then you feel a lot better about yourself. Well, Matthew had certainly had plenty of that. In fact, you remember Jesus spoke a parable that used that when the Pharisee came into the temple and said, I thank you, O God, I'm not as other men. And it begins to give a liturgy of everything that he had done. I do this, I do this, I don't do that, I don't do that. And then he finished by saying, I'm not like him. And he pointed to the tax collector who was praying on the other side. Now that, that's religion all the way. <laughs> if, you're, if you're working in your um, front lawn on Sunday morning and the, these kind of people are going to church, have you noticed how they look through their car window at you? You know, they've already determined if you're working in your front yard on Sunday, you must be going to hell. And we're not. We're going to church. Oh, yeah. There's these looks that transmit rejection and hatred and separation and I'm better than you and you're worse than me. You don't have to say a word. It comes in a look. Matthew knew how to respond with avoidance, with hiding, running back to his mansion of fear and loneliness. But then, Jesus saw a man, and he had a name, Matthew. Hmm. Do you know that when God looks at you with such love, that no one else has ever loved you like that? And you feel his love entering into the very depths of your being, past all the guilt and the shame and the mess that you feel you've made of life. And God just says, I got it. I'm the healer. I'm the savior. I'm the mender. Have you ever checked on your own looks? You know, love one another as I have loved you. When you've received that look of love, we pass it on. But left to ourselves, when we look, we see, well, what do we see? We see what we think is there. Yeah, you know that. You, you, you look and you realize there are things you don't see because you've told yourself somewhere in your subconscious, it, it, it's not supposed to be there anyway. We, we see what we think ought to be there or should be there, or what everyone believes and thinks is there. Hmm. Or we see within the boundaries of our past experience and our past knowledge, and many times that's through the lens of pain. We, we see people through the memories of what his or her kind did to me. And so we don't know who the person is, but we look because... They're, they're of the kind of people that in the past have hurt me and hurt my friends. And so we look with a look of revenge. That's, so there's a mass of things we don't see, even though they're staring us in the face. Many times we see the reflection of our own hidden hatred of ourselves. There's something we do 
or a way of life we've been involved in and we hate it. We loathe ourselves. And when we see someone else doing something in the same family as we did, we hate them because we're really hating ourselves. Oh, this seeing business is is a big thing. What do you see? Everything begins is the way he sees you. I remember, and I might have told you this story before, that when I was in one of my trips to Africa, and we were going through the jungle, and I had my guide with me, and he carried a gun, little thing, but he carried a gun. And um, as we were going through the forest, he suddenly grabbed hold of me and threw me into the side of the bush. And, And immediately I saw or heard him shoot his gun and I climbed out of the bush and and what happened and there dead in the pathway was this snake and I recognized it as one of the most poisonous snakes in Africa and I I had been about to walk right into it I hadn't seen it Um, he saw it and rescued me with his violent action we went on down the path and Sometime later, as we're going along, and I'm just moseying along, thinking about something or nothing, and suddenly his gun goes off. He's shooting it into the air. And right there, a few yards away from us, this leopard leaped into being. I hadn't seen it. It leaped and ran off. I said, okay. I said, I nearly tread on a poisonous snake. I didn't see it. You did. And I said, we were going to walk and trip over a leopard? I didn't see it. He was camouflaged by his skin and colorings, and I didn't see it right there on the sandy bluff. And he looked at me, and he said, you have city eyes, and city eyes are half blind. You only see what you think is there. And then he pointed to his own eyes. He said, I have bush eyes. I see what is really there. I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. What is really there? Jesus, when you look at Matthew, what's really there? Because no one could see a man. No one could see a man named Matthew. Yeah, you did. And you didn't just see a shape. You saw right inside him. And your eyes of love embraced him and accepted him and assured him. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, saw Matthew as God saw him and as God knew him. And when I say God, I mean that This is how the Father, Abba, our Dad, sees us, sees him. Because Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And therefore, when Jesus looked, he was looking with the eyes of the Father. The the two are one. And and the Holy Spirit is the holy transmission and energy of that love to enter right into Matthew. God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit were in that moment looking into the heart of Matthew and the glorious, most personal energy of God love was embracing him at the depth of his being and saying, I love you, I accept you, I'm your savior, I'm your mender, I'm your healer. So Matthew reported it. That he saw a man named Matthew. He was reporting coming under the gaze of God. God as he'd never met him in the synagogue. God as he'd never heard of him from his father. No, this was God as he never had comprehended God to be, that he loves me. There's no punishment in those eyes. There's no accusation. 
There's no putting down and shaming. He looked. And he saw love through the eyes of Jesus that resonated through his entire person. I suppose you could say that vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to other people. And when God looks at you, when he looks at me, he sees me as nobody else sees me. <laughs> you can see I'm, I'm stuck for words when I just think about it. That, that I, I am looked at by others. You are looked at by others. And they, they, they see my negative. They see my faults. They see that I'm not as they think I should be, and I feel that. But when Jesus looks at me, I can feel the love of God that comes to me in Jesus, the Father that embraces me and calls me his Son, and the Holy Spirit who surges within and tells every one of my trillion selves that I'm beloved, I'm beloved, I'm beloved. Matthew saw himself through the eyes of Jesus. Get this very carefully. If Matthew saw himself through his own eyes, as religion had taught him to look at himself, or as the people of Capernaum insisted he saw himself, or as his family saw him, and so he learned to see himself, he saw absolutely no hope. He saw nothing but rejected shame. But when Jesus looked at him, he was looking at himself. Matthew looked at himself through the look of Jesus, through the eyes of love. Okay, let me put it this way. Whenever we meet love at any level, there is this element in it that we see ourselves in a fresh new way through the eyes of the person who loves us. You know, um, we we use the expression uh, just among humans, with human love, we say he or she has fallen in love. And I think you know what I mean, that if a person in your workplace, your office, has fallen in love, They don't have to tell you. There is a glow, sort of a a smile that's always waiting to burst out on their face. They seem to be slightly in another world. And we will laugh at them and say, you're in love. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's the truth. And why is it? Why, Why do they look like that? It's because they have seen themselves in a way they've never seen themselves before. They are seeing themselves through the eyes of the person who loves them. And the person who loves them sees their uniqueness and sees the way in which they are and live as nobody else does. Even their mother and father have never said what the person who loves them has said. And and so they are waking up to a new vision of themselves, that they are opening their eyes to see themselves as they've never dared think of themselves, never thought of themselves so special, so unique. But now they're seeing it through the eyes of the one who loves them, and they trust the one who loves them, so they're believing it. They're believing this new vision of themselves. I think you can relate to that. Well, Matthew is experiencing the ultimate, as so many of you have too, when you have discovered yourself in the eyes of Jesus. (laughs) Do you get it? He looks at you as no one has ever looked at you and said of you that which no one else has ever said. And, and you see a new vision of yourself 
that you can hardly believe, but he is saying it, looking it, and therefore you're trusting. In fact, it was his eyes of love that not only showed you who you were in the eyes of God, but also gave to you faith to believe it. It was so strong, the transmission was so empowered. He saw in the eyes of Jesus the look of compassion, tenderness, gentleness, acceptance, and boundless hope that called forth that expectancy. It was a hope of a new life that would be awash with goodness. And the look of Jesus There's a certain excitement in the look of Jesus. Even when he looked at a tax collector, he looked with excitement. There's dancing in the eyes of Jesus. And he tells us about it in his parables. He says that he's like the merchant who goes searching for the pearl of great price. And when he found you, when he looked and found me, Do you realize the dancing eyes of God in the face of Jesus? He has found the pearl of great price. You. He looked at Matthew. I've been searching for you, Matthew. I've been waiting to find you. Do you remember the other parable he told of the treasure hidden in a field? And, and, And the person tripped over it. No one had seen it. It was half buried and was beginning to be shown. And, and so looking and see there's a treasure. He goes and he sells everything he has in order to buy that field so that he might have the treasure. Do you realize when Jesus looks at you as he looked at Matthew, that you're looking at the one who is God, who, can I, can I find words to say it, God so wanted you that he actually became human so he might relate to you, that he might die for you and rise and carry you with him into his world of glory. You're his treasure. You're his treasure hidden in a field. But no one else even noticed you. I know that. You see, that's why the chap could buy the field because no one else wanted it. Amazing. Or what about the other? He called us the likes of Matthew. He called lost son. Do you remember that? Luke 15. When the the young chap comes home and he's absolutely full of guilt, full of shame, and he begins a conversation, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, my father, and here it comes, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I know you're disgusted with me. You don't even want to look at me. I know that's the way it is. So let's let's talk business. Maybe, maybe could, could I be a hired servant? You know, could, could I come and work for you just whenever you had need for extra help and give me a good meal at least that day? That that was what he came home with, groveling. And as soon as his father saw him, and he begins to give this silly speech. The father grabbed hold of him and kissed him all over that filthy skin that hadn't seen water in months. Skin that stunk of pigs. But he kissed him and buried his face in him and he said, You are my son. You were lost. But now you're found. And of course, if you've been listening, you know now what lost means. It means you were so precious. I valued you so much, I couldn't live without you because you were absent from the place that you were created to be. That's what he says to us. That's how he looks at you. And you see, we've been taught by religion, the more you grovel, the more God is pleased because he's that sort of petty monster. And so you've got to grovel and say, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. Grovel again, grovel again, dedicate, rededicate, flatten your face in the floor. Oh, and he picks you up and he says, I've been looking for you. You are my treasure, you are my son. All that came through the look of Jesus. Because actually, 
Those parables in Luke 15, I believe, were spoken at the time, just immediately after this, when Matthew threw a great feast for every tax collector in Galilee to come and meet this person. And so they came, tax collectors heaped upon tax collectors with all their thugs and their prostitutes. And Jesus sat in the middle and they had a feast and... Well, that's another story. But at that time is when he told Luke chapter 15. He told them about being lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons who were so loved by God that he had come in the person of Jesus to find them. He saw a man. He saw a man and said, you're my treasure. saw a man named Matthew and said, you're my pearl of great price. His eyes wrapped around Matthew and says, you're my son. In fact, in the next verse that comes right, well, we read it. Do you remember um, in that next verse, in in verse, what would it be? Um, In verse 10, where um, Jesus, the Pharisees saw Jesus sitting with all the people and says, why is your teacher eating with, you can hear the, tone of their voice, a tax collector, sinners. When Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. That's interesting. Jesus said that this Matthew and the other tax collectors that were there, you, you see them as criminals to be punished. But God's love sees them as invaded by a deadly virus of blindness and ignorance that gives madness into the brain to do and to be and to expect and to hope for that which only a madman would think. And he said, I've come to heal. I've come to restore. I've come to enlighten the darkness. Just a minute. He said, for these I came, I came, I came. That means, do you realize what he's saying? The incarnation of God joining our humanity, the sufferings and the death of Jesus, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, the shedding of his blood, coming to a finale in the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is saying, I do all of that for Matthew. As surely as he says, he does it all for you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You you are the reason for his being here. That's his love. You see, he wasn't minimizing sin, because I can hear some of you say that. You say, if Jesus looked at this man with compassion, dear Lord, I mean, the man was wrong, wasn't he? He'd hurt enough. Yes, I know, I know. Jesus was not minimizing sin. In fact, he saw the enormity of the sin more than ever you could. But he also saw the sin of those who condemned him and used him to forget their own sin. Take a swig of that. No, Jesus didn't minimize sin. He brought the love of the Trinity into the equation. Didn't minimize sin. Why is he here? God in our flesh is here to deal with our sin and to bring us to become the persons we were created to be. He didn't come to condemn us. Came not into the world to condemn the world, but he came to save us. And that's what he's doing with Matthew. That's what he has done with so many of you. And you see, it was in being seen with the eyes of love that opened Matthew's eyes to see not only himself, as he'd never seen himself before, but also see who God really was and to meet God in the face and person of Jesus. And, you see, that opening of the eyes to see the unbounded love of God toward us, that does something inside of us. See, to see that limitless, unconditional love of God toward us that cuts through all other opinions, that 
enlightens us within. That changes us. See, faith is brought into being, is called forth by the vision of God's love. See, it isn't because you believe that God loves you. God loves you, and when you realize that love, faith is. My faith is a response to the greatness of God's love. And, and repentance, and of course you've heard me say again, repentance is a terrible translation of the word there. You, you should never use the word repentance. It, it means to do penance over and over and over again until you change the mind of an angry God. No, the word metanoia in the Greek language means a radical change of mind. And it's a change of mind that is brought about by seeing who God really is. I didn't know he was like that. I didn't know he loved me like that. My mind is changed by seeing who he really is. And seeing myself through his eyes, I change my mind. I see my sin and my guilt through new eyes. I don't want it anymore. I'm ready to surrender to this one. The light, you could say, streamed through the eyes of Jesus. And in being seen and in seeing the character of God, the look of Jesus birthed faith in him. That's how it works. See, you don't have to, I'm trying to believe, I'm trying to believe. No, 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 no. Quit that. Quit that. All you get is religious sweat. Just realize. Let the Holy Spirit reveal the love of God, and that love is light to you, and you'll find faith is. You know, in Acts twenty six seventeen, it says, I'm sending you, to, he was speaking to Paul, to open their eyes. So, uh, that's what, I mean, it's, it's the mandate given to all who proclaim the gospel. I, I go to people not to try and make them have faith. That's just adding the 11th command. Thou shalt have faith. No. I've got news for you. I've got news. Have you heard the news? The news that is beyond human speech to deliver. That God so loved you. That he has joined you. And, and he, he has carried your sin, and he has carried you with him into death. It's the end of your whole messed up life. And he has absolutely stripped Satan of all authority to condemn you. And he's broken his authority over you. And he's raised you from the dead. Have you heard the news? I'm talking about you. You see, that's the gospel. The gospel is the goodest news you've ever heard. And as I speak it, as so many times on this program, as we speak it, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you see the truth and you feel you've been translated into another world, a world that's been there all the time, but we've been blind to it. And he says to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the dominion of Satan to God. So just opening my eyes and I realize I don't have to stay here anymore. I can walk out of the darkness into the light of God's love. I'm free from Satan's authority. I didn't know it. I'm out of here. I'm coming to this God who loves me. And he says that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And that word forgiveness is far better understood as release. That's the whole burden of the gospel. You are released from your sin. You are released from your sin. Then receive it. Take it. It's yours. To an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And sanctified is a big clumsy word, which simply means you've been separated out of this world. You are no longer of this whole world system of do-it-yourself religion. You've been set apart. You've been set apart to Jesus. And recognize, just by faith, resting in him, what he has done because of who he is. Yeah. And that was it. That, that changed forever the life of Matthew. 
and he joins him. He got up immediately, left. He left. Uh, well, it'd be hard to put into words the, the amount of money that he just simply walked away from. And he joined them walking down the street. I would love to have seen the look of horror on the disciples' face because they, they never knew what Jesus was going to do next. And to have a tax collector walking with them down the street and they're supposed to look as if he's welcome. <laughs> but they got used to it because this wasn't unusual for Jesus. <clears throat> Do you remember the rich young ruler? That really means he was one of the pastoral staff of the synagogue. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was a pastor, full-time minister. He looked at the rich young ruler, and the, the guy had walked away. I mean, the, the, the rich young ruler had said no to what Jesus was saying. And yet it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Or what about he was moved with compassion when he saw the multitude and his compassion taught them. He taught because he saw them and loved them. And then it says he, was, he saw the multitude and, and he was moved with compassion and healed them. He didn't heal them by formula. He didn't heal them as a sort of strange doctor. He healed them because that's how God loves us. Or the woman taken in adultery, he looked at her and says, neither do I condemn you. And what about Jerusalem, the people that had conspired his crucifixion, and they're about to put their plan into action in the next days. And Jesus looked at Jerusalem and wept over it because of their blindness and refusal to see who he was and what he brought to them. In fact, the word there in the language of the New Testament is that with great convulsive sobs, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Yeah, but, well, okay, when the Romans crucified Jesus, as they're putting the nails in his hands, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Hmm. You, you, you get it? It's, it's a love that we're not used to, a love that stuns us, an astonishing love, amazing love, staggering love. But that's how he looks at us. And that then is truth. When God looks and says, this is the way it is, this is the way it is. And if we don't see it that way, it's because we are blind and we're about to step on a poisonous snake and don't see it. But he knows the truth. He knows the truth about you. And his eyes are sparkling. They dance with joy as they're looking at you right now. And he says, I've got this. I've got this. I can mend you. You're my treasure. And so we now have caught the look. I would to God it is so. That now we look at others with the same look that he gave to us. And Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, henceforth, because of this love that has invaded our lives... We see no man, no woman after the flesh. That is, we don't look at people and bucket them in their, um, their, their, their race or their gender or their particular sin. or where any. We don't see any person after the flesh. We see people that these are the ones that God loved and gave himself for. These are the ones... And when we look at them, we are transmitting the love of God to them. And Jesus looks at them through our eyes. And therefore it's fulfilled. As Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Well, there it is. It can change your life forever to know that's how he's looking at you right now. You're the beloved. He's got a hold of you and he says, you are my son. Puts his arms around you. You are my daughter. You are his pearl of great price. 
You have been lost in a wilderness of confusion, but now you're found in his arms. That's the message of the gospel. Let it be so. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing rest upon you this night, opening your eyes to see who you truly are in his look, and to know that he himself is in his look and is dwelling inside of you this very moment, that from this day on you shall see yourself in his love and walk in his light and dance in his freedom. So I bless you. And that is the way it is.